Thanks, Darren. We're going to talk this morning about grace and truth. And as I shared in the first service, um, this is really kind of coming out of a pretty raw place in my life. Seven and a half weeks ago, uh, we were in a very, very bad car accident in San Diego. How many of you have ever been in a really bad accident? Wow. Yeah, quite a few. In the first service, there was hardly anybody. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you think about that for a second, and I'm not trying to take you back to a bad place and a really horrible day and experience, et cetera, um, but the reality is that that does something in your life, and it provides an opportunity to kind of really evaluate who you are and where you're going. So I'll walk you through that just for a second. So we're going to talk this morning about grace and truth. And on February the 19th um, this year, seven and a half weeks ago, I had uh, a reality check. So uh, my second son, Nathan's 25, uh, and I and my wife, Melissa, who we've been married for 30 years, um, she's a very patient woman, God bless her, uh, we went to San Diego, we used to live in Southern California many years ago, and we're going to celebrate birthdays. So we had just gotten to Del Mar, and we're coming out of the hotel to go to dinner, and we're about 15 feet in front of the hotel when we're in the median waiting to turn left, and a Audi A8, which if you know Audis at all, it's the big, you know, kind of uh, you know, four-door sedan, at about 60 miles an hour hit us uh, in the driver's side back door. Um, you know, I, I am very thankful for Nissan, by the way. I think somebody works for Nissan in here. Um, they their headquartered here. Uh, we'd rented a Nissan, Nissan Maxima, and, um, you know, God bless side airbags. I would not be here if it wasn't for those. Um, but he hit us, you know, with the front of his car, driver's side, back door. The force of the collision pushed our car up onto about a five-inch tall curb with such, you know, an amount of force that both right side tires, the front and back, collapsed under the vehicle. And as it came to rest on that little island, uh, my son heard my wife, who is passenger seat, or passenger side back seat, thank God, because if she had chosen, which, by the way, you know, listening to the simple, quiet voice of the Lord, um, when we were walking up to the rental car to go to dinner, she literally went to, to grab the handle of the driver's side back door. And she just didn't feel right, you know. They say something about my driving. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, but, but, you know, but, I mean, she, she, Melissa, she's really, really smart. She, she's like, you know, okay, usually the driver protects himself, so maybe that's, you know, but she actually, you know, put that and went around and got in the passenger side backseat. Otherwise, she would not be here today. But when it came to rest on the island, um, Nathan, my oldest son, front seat, passenger side, here's Melissa screaming in the back. And to give you some perspective how forceful he hit us, Melissa, apparently, because I'm looking this way to turn left, she was passenger side back seat, and she must have caught a glimpse of the car coming over the hill about to hit us. By the way, didn't hit his brakes, you know, full force. So she put her left arm down on the, on the seat, on the bench of, passenger, of the back seat, and the force of it fractured and shattered her wrist. So... She, a couple weeks ago, got a big plate and nine pins put on her wrist, and God bless her. She's got the most long-term recovery of all of us. But my son heard her scream, so he knew she's alive. He looks at me, and I'm lifeless, to which my wife says, 
is he dead? And my son said, yes, I think so. So he hops out of the vehicle, dials 911. My wife gets in the front seat and... She grabs my arm and she asks me not to die several times, knowing I don't hear very well usually. <laughs> so she uh, pleaded with me and more with God that I wouldn't die. Um, just for a sideline comment, those of you guys who are married to a woman who really loves you, there is nothing on this planet that you should ever do that would risk that relationship. I've been married 30 years, right? I've seen it all. I've seen all the train wrecks. And you know what? If your life has had an event in the past that wasn't so good, God forgives. God bless you. But for those of you, any time that temptation walks around, you know, younger, prettier, different personality, la, 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 whatever, work colleague, it is really stupid to give up somebody who loves you. So, uh, the EMTs come, God bless, um, firemen, police. We had a great experience, by the way. Very, very thankful for, you know, emergency personnel. My son-in-law is an EMT. Anyway, um, and to that end, they got the jaws of life out. They cut me out of the car. Uh, put the big horse collar thing on my neck, and it took about 45 minutes to get me out, take me to Scripps Memorial Hospital. First thing I remember, I'm in the ER, open my eyes, nurse, doctor, police officer, all good to go, that's cool, um, and then went back out, and they took me to a private room. So I wake up, and the really sort of the lasting memory I have is waking up at about 8 o'clock in the evening in this hospital room, dark. I don't want to turn the lights off, but whatever. Anyway, so uh, by myself, I got the horse collar on, no tubes, nothing coming out of me. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Not sure. Maybe it's like, you know, well, he's too far gone. Like, forget the tubes. I, I don't know. <laughs> or, you know, could have been, you know, well, he's okay. I, I, you know, I really didn't know which way to go here, right? And so I wake up. The first thing I think is this is a dream. This isn't really happening. This has got to be some fiction thing, blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of wears on me after a few minutes like this has really happened. And so for the next several hours, I wrestle with questions and ask myself, you know, uh, what do I do with this? So next slide. In a time of crisis, a time of reflection, I kind of came to myself that I had two sort of polarized extremes I could do, right? I'm sorry if I'm in your way, by the way, somebody's in the middle. Uh, one is, I can be calloused, I can stuff it, ignore it, dead myself, pretend, medicate, blame somebody, be bitter, and eventually I'll implode, Okay? I could try that at that end, or I can go to the other end where, you know, okay, it's now bucket list every day, skydive, climb mountains, you know, I can't live with the everyday, you know, I can't go back to work, blah, 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 uh, thrill seek, exaggerate everything, um, you know, be very self-focused, paranoid about my mortality, and frankly, I'll burn myself on that, on that end. So I thought, all right, God, none of those are really good ideas. So 
what's in the middle? And then I asked myself, and I actually wrote down, what are the goals for my life? Now, while I was laying there, I did notice that as soon as I turned, I turned a little bit to my right, and um, it was as if somebody put me in a chair and spun me around a thousand times. I had no equilibrium whatsoever. So if you have a major concussion, you're like... So I was like, at that point, I'm like, I don't really know if I'm going to be okay. So then, you know, you venture the idea of, what if I'm alive for another day, week, month, or 40 years? I don't know. What do I do with this? So these were the goals I wrote down. Now, you may have a lot better list. You know, God bless. Um, Please, God, love my wife and my family well. I didn't always do a very good job of that. Um, this add-in, we didn't say this in first service. I have a good friend of mine is a very unique company that he actually evaluates people's personalities. And he has 300 adjectives that you end up clicking on. And those 300 adjectives, you click on them. Like aggressiveness, is that good or bad? Uh, how do you define it? Well, he's had half a million people do this, and he can basically take you down to the T. So this is not Myers-Briggs, D-I-S-C thing. This is way, way, way deep. Okay? There's 12 patterns of behavior he can tell you that probably are going to dictate your life. What are you? Are you an exhibitionist? You want people to see you. Are you hyper-analytical? Right? So are you self-critical? You know, what are your proclivities? There's 12 of them, and they put them together. Da, da, da. Anyway, um, interesting sideline. He developed that for kids in, uh, in Houston, Texas. That Actually, this is back in the mid-70s that were kids that no one, everybody given up on, who had, um, frankly, you know, gotten thrown out of three or four high schools, that kind of thing, right? And he developed it to help them how to know how to affect their constraints. The name of the book, by the way, is called The Flip Side, written by a very close friend of mine named Flip Flippins. His first name is one that he doesn't like, so flip. Um, but in this, he had me take this test. Okay, fine. Had Melissa take it. So the deal is, is you do it yourself, and then six people that know you really, really well also do it for you. When I think of Mark, what do I think of? Click the adjectives. Okay? You can click 10. You can click 299 if you want. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Okay? So in the end, he gets a really interesting dialed-in view. Half a million people have done it. After he did it for these kids, that amazing results. Um, it's taught in a public high school, by the way. It's curriculum. About 4 million kids have gone through it. It's on leadership. Pretty impressive. He had me do it. So then he had, you know, tells me, oh, by the way, I had a guy named Mark McCormick, who was the founder of IMG, International Marketing Group, who probably the most prolific sports agency if you're into sports. Um, he sat in Mark's living room. Long story I won't bore you with, but the bottom line is he ends up doing this for him. And um, a lot of the athletes that are through IMG, like all of them. So he's had some interesting people go through it. He has me do it. He comes back to me and he says, all right, man, I got really, really good news and really kind of not so good news. Okay, what do you got? And he said, uh, well, you scored third on the aggressiveness scale of anybody I've ever tested. Okay. You don't really see that part of me here. Um, I kind of dial it back a lot when I come back to Nashville from New York. But... We do, anyway, in finance and on Wall Street, it's a little bit aggressive. But, but he said, the other side, it is uh, you are really, really poor at nurturing. You got no scale on nurturing, dude. You suck. <laughs> okay? To be mild. He's a good friend. 
And, but, but you know what? I, look, I appreciate straight talk and truth, right? As he told me, he says, now, you can affect that, by the way. You can take the ceiling of your constraint and raise it, but you got to work on it. So that was the reason why number two was love my wife and my family well. How do I do that? I got to intentionally make some decisions in my life to change things to make that happen. Bless others to leave a lasting impact, to live with purpose, meaning, intention, to invest each day, to enjoy all that God's given me, eliminate drags on my purpose. That was a big one. Uh, to laugh, to experience real joy, not the fake, you know, laugh, whatever. To care, to be compassionate, to actively learn, to appreciate others and value people and to frankly invest and have an impact in the kingdom to see the eternal. So, next question, three quick questions we're going to go through. I'm going up to 45, maybe get to 66 here. Uh, who really are we? First question was, who, who are you, God? Who am I? And then what do I practice? What do I really believe, and how do I change things from here? So who is God? John, 4, John 1, 14 to 18 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness, of the vastness of Jesus Christ, we have all received and grace upon grace. That Greek phrase, grace upon grace, literally means wall-to-wall grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So what is grace? In the Greek, the word is charis, which means a blessing, a concession, a thing that is granted credit, favor, a position that's given to you. It also means that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, loveliness. God wants your life to be about that. He wants it to really be good. And he's invited you into his kingdom for that. So it's a position of constant, consistent favor via Jesus where we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ, Ephesians 2.6. The next word, and, is a Greek word, chi. It could mean and. It also could mean even, or also, or namely. Last word, truth. Grace and truth. Truth, aletheia. Is this truth, but not merely just the truth spoken of, but truth of idea, reality, a divine truth, revealed to man, straightforwardness. Facts can change, but truth is constant. The fact that I'm 52 will be 53 is a fact. That changes. Truth does not change. Okay? So, grace and truth. Blessings, the concession, the positional authority of a righteous one. When God looks at you through his lenses, he sees exactly all the authority and position of Jesus Christ. Also, namely, truth. So, grace, namely, reality. Grace is reality. Grace is truth. Is your truth about grace? 
So the next question that I wanted to look at was, well, you said that Moses brought the law, but grace and truth were brought by Jesus. What's the difference? So let's go back to the law. Exodus 20. Thou shalt not steal, shalt not covet, shalt not murder, commit adultery, bear false witness. On the other hand, what is the new covenant? What does grace and truth give me? God's words. I will put my law within them. I will write and inscribe it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will forgive their iniquity and their, and their sins. I will remember no more. Notice the difference? The law is about what you got to do. The new covenant is about what he's done. The old covenant is about your performance. The new covenant is about God's performance. You know, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Okay? What are your eyes on? Last time when I spoke, one of the things I did at the very beginning of the service, those of you who were here, remember, I used to bow your heads, and I, and I asked, when you look in the mirror, what do you think God sees when he sees you? And so without anybody looking around, just do this. Don't raise your hand or anything. Just look at me. When I hit the number as to where you think God is with you, how pleased is God with you? One, two, three, all the way to ten. Okay? A little insight. There were no tens. There were a lot of one, twos, and threes. And that, my friends, isn't something that should stay. That should change. So that question then, who am I? So I went to Philemon. So Philemon, those who remember, was a... Uh, probably landowner or something, New Testament times. And he had a slave named Onesimus that had been apparently arrested, thrown into prison, and meets Paul. And he's gloriously saved and becomes very, very dear to Paul like a son. And so the book of Philemon is Paul writing to Philemon, asking him and pleading, frankly, for him to forgive all the debt that Onesimus owes him. So Philemon 4 through 6 is one chapter. He says, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. That Greek word means be operative, operational, through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. The Greek word is agathu, the realization of every good thing that's put in you. That's placed in you because you are given Jesus' position. So turn that around. Does that mean then that I really, my faith is not going to be effective if I don't see the good God's placed in me? So when you think about that number, you need to understand it's not humility that causes you to be under self-condemnation. That's a trick of the enemy to keep you stuck. Because if you think about it, in my life, I can tell you as an example, earlier in my life, you know, anything that you're struggling with doesn't matter. You know, could be an addiction, could be just a small issue, whatever. Anything you're struggling with. The reality is, for most believers, this is the way it goes. Well, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, and now I'm going to do my best to obey you, and so I can earn my positional authority, and I'll be blessed by you, and if I do this, then things will come my way, da 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 and if I tithe, all this money will come to me, and I, you know, all these kind of, you know, cause and effect relationship with God. That's the way we think about him, okay? That's not part of a family, by the way. That's still being a slave, all right? But, okay, 
And I did something, oh God, I'm really sorry. Cathartic experience, tears, really, really sorry, really, really bad, really, really sorry. Read books, conferences, counseling, friend, prayer, da 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 da. Guess what? Uh, you know, frustration, pain, that's a lot of agony. Self condemnation is really miserable. Okay? All of a sudden, I'm in such pain, guess what? I do it again. Pleasure, pain seeks pleasure, by the way. So that pain is so, you do it. So then you're back on this gerbil wheel of again and again and again and again. Until you change from the inside out, I would tell you that you're more than likely to die in that gerbil wheel position. Changing from the inside out is seeing yourself the way Jesus Christ sees you. So he says that my faith is going to become effective as I understand the good that Jesus has put in me. All right, so the Christian life breaks down when you believe that Jesus is righteous and you as a believer are not. Self-condemnation, judgment, again, the constant cycle. So who is, what has Jesus really done for us? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, one of my favorite verses. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. By the way, that's immediate. That's not when you get to heaven, then you become righteous and da-da-da. No, that's now. All right? So, what, what really, let's back that up for a second. Let's look into that verse. The sin offering in the Old Testament, Leviticus 4, 1 to 4. The Israelite brought an animal as his sin offering. He laid his hand on it, and before killing it, all of his sins would be transferred to the innocent animal. The animal dies for his sins, and he goes away free. That's the sin offering. Okay? What's a burnt offering? The difference is a burnt offering, Leviticus 1, is in contrast when the Israelite brings an animal, spotless, lays his hand on it, and the beauty and worthiness and acceptance of the animal is transferred to the person of the direction. You get it? Little uh, thought here. It's interesting that in the Old Testament that the sin offering was, was done on occasion, but the burnt offering was done twice a day, every morning, every evening. God wanted his people to be righteousness conscious, not sin conscious. Okay? So, Jesus did both of these for us. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, the sin offering, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, the burnt offering. So, next question is, so what do I really believe? And by the way, you do what you believe, Right? get it out of your head, like I really, no, your actions are what you truly believe. What do you practice? So, do I practice righteousness? How do you practice righteousness? Are you supposed to practice righteousness? What does that mean? First John 2, 28, 29, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back, shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, for 25 years of my Christian life, I believe that practicing righteousness meant my behavior. So, all right, I didn't screw up this week. I didn't do that this month. I didn't do that this day. Whatever. I'm righteous. Er, wrong. Practicing righteousness means every day re-recognizing your righteous position in Christ. Reminding yourself day after day, moment after moment, 
I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that, my friends, will change you from the inside out. And that has power. That's the power of salvation in the gospel, is when you understand what he's given you and who you are in him. And guess what? It does break that, that addiction. It does break that habit of sin. Absolutely. Because if you do something wrong, if immediately after you look in the mirror and say, I am still the righteousness of God in Christ, I challenge you to do that. Because the reality is you won't want to do that again. Not because of the cathartic experience you had with tears and this and that and the other. Which, by the way, I'm not saying tears are bad or repentance is bad. That's not the point. The point is, what do you focus on? What do you think about every day? What's the self-talk in you say? Does it say, oh, you know, I'm just kind of getting along. and I'm, Or does it say, I have the righteous position of Jesus Christ. He is my blessing. But it's not something because of you. You didn't earn a thing. You could never earn a thing. That's the deception the enemy gives us. Is that self-condemnation, what it really is saying is if I get it right, I can earn acceptance. You can't earn anything. But if you receive every day afresh his salvation, his grace, grace is truth. What truth are you speaking to yourself every day? That's the question. So habitually claim your position being the righteousness of God because of him. I mentioned this, but the sin offering, again, was never a daily offering. God does not want his people to be sin conscious. He wanted them righteousness conscious. That's the reason why he had a difference. So how do you practice this? 1 John 1, 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The Greek word, means to make or construct. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what am I constructing in my life every day? Because you are building something. What are you building? Right? What is the philosophy that you have that you're really living life by? This is what I ask myself in that hospital room sitting there. What do I really believe about myself? Because what I believe about myself says something about what I believe about God. And do I really believe in what Jesus, you know, gave me or not? So, Every day, your habitual actions construct what you believe to be truth. What are you daily constructing in your life? Do I believe God is who he said he is? And do I believe I am who God said I am? So I got two more slides. Actually, three. Um, and what I'm going to ask you to do now is I'd love for you to, whatever you want to do, close your eyes if you want, don't, doesn't matter. But I'm going to read over you who God says he is. And I want the word of God to literally wash you and for you to be able to absorb who is this God. Then I'm also going to read a lot of scriptures. Who are you? Who are you in Christ? So I'm going to do this a little different than I did the first service. I'm going to actually read 10 scriptures and then I'm going to go through the adjectives. Who is God? This is Jesus. He says, I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19, 16. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 
Revelation 22, 13. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, John 1, 17. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, John 14, 6. I am the door of the sheep. I am the door, and if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, John 10, 7, and 9. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 1, th- 1 and 5. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star, Revelation 22, 16. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John 1, 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, 1 John 1, 1 through 2. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. So he is king of kings and lord of lords. He's the alpha and omega, grace and truth, the way, the truth, the life, the door, the vine, the bright morning star, the word, the high priest according to Melchizedek, the head of the body, the righteous one, the second Adam, the redeemer, the healer, the provider, the water of life, the husband, the anointed one, the shepherd, the creator, the potter, our brother, the image of God, the glory of God, the son of God, your Messiah, the one whom we seek, the rock, the cornerstone, the foundation, our advocate, and the firstborn from the dead. That is your God. Now, who are you? Who am I in Jesus? I am just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him, Ephesians 1, 4. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, John 1, 12 and 13. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it, 1 Corinthians 1, 27. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures, James 1, 18. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for us so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, Romans 8, 37. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask for the father in my name, he may give it to you, John 15, 15 and 16. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said, that he said, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken, John 2, 22. For you were formerly darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, Ephesians 5, 8. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we all, we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians 3, 20. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, Galatians 4, 6, and 7. So I am a chosen one, a child of God, the body of Christ, the first fruits of God, the favored one, the redeemed, the blessed has the divine nature, the branches, the sealed ones with the Holy Spirit, the bride of Christ, the sheep, 
the wisdom of God, the encouraged, the brave, the conquerors, ones with inheritance. We are heirs, Jesus' friends, a new creation, the, the blameless, unspo- unblemished, spotless ones, light in the Lord. We are citizens of heaven, inseparable with Christ, examples of his grace, deliverers of his goodness, vessels of honor, his offspring, Jesus' brothers and sisters, ambassadors of Christ, the new man. We are his friends, his glory, his fruit, the comforted, those who hope in God, those seated in the heavenly places. We are believers. We are faithful ones in Christ, the found sheep, the found coin, God's building, a temple of God, God's trophies, his workmanship, the saints of God, the predestined. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. That is who you are. In 1 John chapter 2, we'll end with this. The scripture says, that if we sin, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate in the Greek means basically like an attorney, like a lawyer. So not only is he your high priest, not only is he your intercessor, not only is he your savior, your redeemer, your Messiah, but he's also your advocate. You stop and think about that for a second. This is what plays out every day in your life and mine. When we do something wrong, we sin, right? Then, you know, frankly, the, Satan can come to the throne and he'd say, Father, Mark's done it again. You know, he did this and I, I you know, I, I'm telling he needs to be punished. He did this. And sitting next to, next to me is my advocate, is Jesus Christ, who says, Father, you know what? That's exactly right. He did that. But it's already been paid for. I've paid for it. I've taken his place. He's forgiven. And the gavel comes down forgiven, no charge. But if you think about that, that plays out moment by moment. That reel is continuous. It's not historical. Most people, when they become a believer, thank you, God, hallelujah, I'm a Christian, I love you, all my past sins are forgiven. What about the future sins? Are they not forgiven? So if you understand and accept and apply his grace, his positional authority, right? You got a pretty good lawyer sitting next to you. His advocacy for you means you can walk through life knowing you're forgiven. Now, that will change you from the inside out because guess what? You want to be holy because he is holy. You want to walk with him. You want to be a part of his kingdom. You want to invest every day loving people. By the way, what is the standard that the new covenant would set? Those people who think, well, you know, if I, I didn't do anything. By the way, as you get older, it's kind of interesting to me because, you know, being in his 50s. Um, as people get older, many times, you know, they, they probably don't struggle with quite as many of the ostentatious sins as maybe when they're a little younger, right? Things calm down a little bit. And I find that it can, people can become bitter, kind of judgmental, right? Hey, I, I'm not doing that stuff. I don't watch those shows. I don't talk like that. I don't read those books whatever, because it really doesn't even appeal to them, to be honest with you. So, kind of feel a little self-righteous. So, I'm doing everything pretty well, right? So, what are you talking about, man? Sin, I'm, 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 yeah, but you need to, we need to preach hellfire and brimstone. You need to understand how you're wrong in Christ. I got to tell you, man, Jesus never came to condemn anybody. I never once saw him say to any person, other than the Pharisees, understand your sin, He told the Pharisees that because they thought they were righteous. He said, no, 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 no. But everybody else already knew it. Zacchaeus up in the tree, right? 
right? The tax collector, he wasn't sitting there thinking, well, I'm so righteous. Or, you know, the woman that came at the well, the Samaritan woman, you know, was she thinking, well, I'm so righteous, you know? No. He knew they needed to hear words of life. And it's only the water of life that'll refresh you, frankly, to, to cause you and to help you accomplish what he wants you to accomplish in life. So we have an advocate, Jesus. And so I ask you to stop and replay that evaluation again. And if you ask yourself, okay, where do I feel like I am with God? Understand that if you see yourself as righteous in Christ, I am forgiven. I have the positional authority of Jesus. Guess what? You're not going to want to stay in the mud. You're not going to stay in the sin. You're going to want to stay where he is. God bless you. Darren.